0: Welcome to Mission Winnow presents Powering Innovation, the podcast that looks at the technology behind the racing in MotoGP. My name's Steve English, and as ever on Powering Innovation, I'm joined by Alberto Nazca. And Nazca, this is going to be an interesting show. This is all about safety in MotoGP. It's about rider equipment, and it's about track design and evolution.
1: Yeah. Hello, Steve. Hello, everyone. Yeah, safety is one of the most important thing in MotoGP, and not just the rider safety, but yeah always the rider safety, but also the tracks need to be designed in order to, to make the riders ride safer. And why is safety that important? Because if we look at some stats, just in 2020, so just in one race season, we have seen 722 crashes just in the three MotoGP classes. So it's a huge number, really. I, can, I cannot even count them. And if we think if we think about that, typically during a racing season we have forty crashes per weekend over the three classes, and this year we have one event with a hundred crashes in just one racing weekend. You can really understand how important the safety is.
0: Yeah, and Naska, you said it there: a hundred crashes in one weekend. Typically, over the course of a race weekend, you get over forty crashes per weekend, and that's forty times where the rider falls. It's 40 times where they hit the deck. It's 40 times where there's force exerted through their body that needs to be dissipated. It has to go somewhere, all that load. And sometimes that can be up to 25G that the race suit, the leathers, the helmet, the gloves, the boots, all that has to absorb that impact and make sure that the rider stays safe. It really is a tremendous feat of development and evolution to be able to see how manufacturers have been able to do this.
1: Yeah, it's incredible if you think about that a rider can hit the ground at 25 G's just wearing a leather suit and can walk away uninjured from that. That's something that drives me really crazy and make me proud about the, the innovation that we've seen in rider safety. And if we dive into the, the rider equipment, we, cl- we can clearly see the equipment for exi- from outside. Okay, so you can see the leather suit, the helmet, the gloves, the boots... But sometimes you you cannot see what lies under, um, what lays under the racing suit. The first layer that a rider has, every amateur, every rider knows it. You have the undersuit, which sometimes riders don't use. for example, I see Quartararo is not using the undersuit. Every time he opens the leather suit, I just see his chest. So it's something that I, I really don't understand. How can a rider like that? But one of the most important thing that you always need to wear and all our our listeners that are listening to us guys remember also on the road always wear the back protector that is one of the most important thing um, together with the helmet that can really save your life and can really save your back and we have seen an incredible evolution just in the back protectors really if you see all the tests that all these equipments goes through Really, they, they, are put, they put them under very big stresses. And then you have the leather suit that everyone sees when the rider is riding. And one thing that uh, people probably don't know is that every single leather suit is tailor-made. It's made by hand. It's made exactly on the measures of the rider. And that's because the, the protective gears, they of course need to be protective. But on the other hand, they need, to make, they need to make the rider comfortable. They need to make the rider able to move on the bike. And that's something difficult to achieve, to make something which is protective, hands rigid and hard, but at the same time is soft and flexible.
0: Yeah, and it's why we see with the design of the suits, you get an awful lot of accordion leather, accordion stitching on it, which basically means that you can move yourself into different positions on it, your shoulder, your back, just to be able to make sure you can get yourself tucked in but also still be able to get yourself into the normal positions for cornering as well. It really is impressive to see how the suits have evolved over the last couple of years. And it's one of those areas, Nascar, where we look at it and we see riders that look like they're protected better than ever. And they are protected better than ever. There's decades of evolution that's gone into the leathers, the boots and all of the safety equipment. But there's always new innovation coming forward. You mentioned the back protector. Back protectors and chest protectors, they weren't mandatory until a few years ago. And now, almost no rider would even think of being out on track without them. It shows just how quickly these things can become part of the everyday experience for these riders. And it really does show as well just how quickly you're able to evolve them into something that's comfortable on the bike. Because that always is one of the biggest factors for the
1: rider, comfort and weight. Yeah, exactly. And for example, if you think about track days... Uh, As amateurs or as as pro riders, every time you get on track, they just don't only check if you paid the ticket But they also check if you're wearing the back protector You cannot even enter the track as an amateur without the back protector and that's because it's one of the most important thing and One thing that I loved is that when I visited the archive of, of one leather manufacturing company They have an archive where they stored every single model that they've made through the years, and if you compare the recent models to the older ones, you see something incredible. That the the first ones were just a piece of leather. They didn't even have the sliders on the on the knees. Okay, that's because the first riders were not used to put the knee down. Because if we if we see the 50, 60, 70 years ago, motorbikes. The riders when they were leaning of course the leaning angle were not like nowadays but they were keeping the they were keeping their legs inside the fairings then at some points some riders started to put the, wheel, the knee down and then they realized okay I cannot put the knee down if I have just leather so what they started to do is they were taking their visors their backup visors that they were not using and they were stitching them with the duct tape on the knees. So the the riders were the first one who invented the sliders. And then the leather manufacturer said, okay, we need to put something on the knee in, or, in order to, to allow the rider to put the knee down. Then the sliders have been invented. And you know, the sliders are those plastic made parts that you can use to touch the ground, you can use to touch the asphalt with the knee. And then once they're worn out, you change them. And so the first step were the sliders on the knee. And now what happened? The the riders are leaning that much. They are riding with such an extreme riding styles that they've put their sliders also on the elbow. And I'm wondering if someday we will see the sliders on the shoulders. Which is something that is happening because this year Quartararo put the shoulder down in Barcelona.
0: Yeah, we saw that at turn six in Barcelona. Like you said, Naska, it shows just how quickly things can evolve for the riders because... Up until a few years ago, some riders still didn't actually use the elbow sliders. Mark Marquez, of course, was probably the first rider that really brought that to the fore. It's always interesting that as the technology evolves, as riding styles evolve, there's always one rider that seems able to take advantage of it a little bit more than everyone else. Kenny Roberts, the first of the real top tier riders that was getting his knee down and taking advantage of it. Marquez with his elbow. Like you said, riders now with their shoulder as well. It just shows just how the performance of bikes evolves and how riders have to adapt to it. And like you said, leather manufacturers, they need to adapt to it as well. And that's what we've seen with an awful lot of the technology over the course of the last few years for how they're evolving things. Because some riders try lots of different things on their leathers. We see it that as the lean angles have have increased, being able to grip the bike with your legs has become crucial. And that's why we've seen some riders even on the insides of their leathers having material that will help them grip into the tank a little bit more, just give them that little bit more leverage.
1: Yeah, exactly. We started from suits made it, made just by leather, and now we have the grips on the knees. We have the la- the sliders on the knees and on the elbow. We also have some titanium plates that you can see on some leather suits. And the idea of these plates placed on the, on the elbow, on the shoulder, on the joints, is that the leather grips on the ground, okay? So if the leather grips on the ground, it can slow you down. But the thing is that if your joint is gripping on the ground, you risk to start rolling on the ground. And if you start rolling, you can eventually break some bones. So some manufacturers decided to put some titanium plates on the joints because the titanium is metal and the metal does not have grip on the ground. And that's why sometimes you see sparks coming out of the riders when they crash. That's because of that titanium. So you can see how incredible the evolution was. And the incredible evolution was also on the gloves and in the boots. At the beginning, the boots were made just by leather and the sole, while today we can find carbon, Kevlar, titanium, plastic, all those materials that are meant not just to protect from the impacts, but also from the distortion.
0: Yeah, and I remember the first time I was on track and I got my knee down. It doesn't happen too often. Naska, you're a lot better (laughs) at riding than I am. But I remember, like you said, it surprised just how much friction there actually is because you look at it on TV and you see riders just gliding into corners and they look so graceful. But you really do dig in and you've got to make sure that the suits are able to withstand that and also really to allow the rider to maximise their performance. And that's what the key thing is with all of these elements of technology. And that's why... You see, you mentioned gloves, Nazca. They've come on leaps and bounds over the course of the last 10, 15 years. And the biggest driving force for that is you need to obviously have comfort, you need to have feel, but you also need to protect the key elements of the hand, whether it's the knuckles or the small bones as well. And that's why you see the little finger and the fourth and the fourth finger tied together on mm. uh, the gloves. It's just to make sure that if you do crash, that your, the fingers that have the least amount of muscle aren't going to be dragged around and they're not going to roll around and break each other. So it really is a case of just thinking in terms of how to improve safety at any level for these manufacturers. And it really is, it, it's really interesting whenever you look at just all the marginal gains that are being made just to try and improve safety. And that's the biggest reason why we see riders' careers longer now. It's because all of these factors have just taken away some of the smaller injuries that riders can have. Because every time you crash, you're putting that force, you're putting that impact through your body and it's easy to break a bone. But we just, we're conditioned to expect riders to jump back up. We're conditioned to expect them not to be
1: injured. And a lot of that comes from the technology that we see. Yeah, absolutely. And then you mentioned the gloves uh, with with the last two fingers stitched together. And that was also thanks to the evolution of the braking system on the bikes. Because nowadays, we see riders braking with just one finger or two fingers. Okay, so it made it useless to use the last two fingers to break. So they decided in some gloves to stitch them together for safety. And probably the glove is one of the most complex rider equipment part because one one day I saw how many parts made one glove. And, you know, just one glove can be made of 80 parts. Can you imagine that? 80 parts. And I think that's one of the
0: key things, Nasco, is just to see how they're all layered together. Because for a manufacturer, they've got so many different things to think about when it comes to even something as as small as a pair of gloves, because they've got to make sure that they're ventilated. They've got to make sure that the knuckles are protected. They've got to make sure that the rider can still feel everything as well. So they tailor that specifically for each rider. So sometimes the tips of the fingers might be a little bit dense leather, a little bit less dense with the leather compared to other areas. Then they'll also have it where across the knuckles, that's where you tend to see the big plastic protection there to make sure that it can withstand the impact. And then in other areas, they really brace up the leather to try and make sure that if you slap down on the top of your hand, that it's protected. Or at the heel of the hand, there's more leather there because if you're sliding forwards, you'll have your hands in front and all of the friction will go through the bottom of your hand. So you don't want to make sure that there's enough leather there for the heat absorption so that you're not going to hurt a rider as well. So there really is... An awful lot of technology and an awful lot of thought that goes into all the different elements of whether it's the leathers, whether it's the boots, whether it's the gloves, whether it's the helmet.
1: Yeah, exactly. And the most interesting part of this is that all the things that we mentioned were some passive protective gears. But nowadays, we also see some active protective parts which are now mandatory. They they were not mandatory in the past and now they are mandatory. We're talking about the airbag. The airbag system is something super technologically sophisticated. And sometimes we see the riders and people always wonder, what is the hump that they had on their back on their leather suit? And usually people think that, it, that it's meant to protect the rider, but it's not just protective. Actually, it's more aerodynamic. The main goal of the hump is the aerodynamic. But then at some point, they introduced the airbag, the airbag into the leather suits. So, all the electronics, the ECU and the airbag system is located in the hump. So, that, that became one of the main purpose of the hump. So, the airbag system is quite like the car airbag where we have a bag which is filled by air, okay, which it's filled by some sort of tiny explosion. Okay? There is a tiny explosion where this gas is released and it goes to inflate the the bag and all of this is controlled electronically so we have an ecu which is working at one kilohertz which means it's evaluating it's calculating the data from the sensors 1000 times per second can you can you imagine how precise it is we have many gyroscopes many sensors located in the ecu and if the algorithm decides that you're having a bad crash, it activates the airbag and make it blow. And that's something that really prevented so many bones to be broken, especially in the area of the shoulders, the back, the ribs. And it also somehow protects the neck because it doesn't actually protect directly the neck, but inflating the area around the neck allows the rider not to move the head too quickly. And that's an incredible evolution that we've seen.
0: Yeah, and I think for me, from the outside, this has been the one key area that's been a visual development as well, because over the last 15 years, I think this is where most of it's been centered. If you look at 10 years ago, riders didn't have this technology. Five years ago, most riders used it but we're uncomfortable with it. And now it's mandatory for all riders in all sessions in the MotoGP class to make sure they have it. And it's necessary as well, because you look at some of the crashes that riders are able to walk away from and and the impacts are massive. 25G going through any human body is a huge amount of force to be able to try and withstand. A huge amount of force that all of the protective equipment has to be able to absorb and dissipate around the body. And when you look at some of the crashes and Alex Marquez in Valencia, whenever he crashed in qualifying, 25G was the impact force. That was insane. The crash was insane, really. Absolutely crazy. But even crazier, he gets back on the bike during the session to go back out and qualify. And it shows just how much impact that these safety equipments can take. It shows just how good they are at being able to absorb the impact. And Naska, you were mentioning there about just all of the calculations that go into determining whether or not to deploy an airbag. The sensors on a on a set of leathers are looking at speed, they're looking at lean angle, they're looking at g-forces, they're looking at body position, they're looking at so many different things. And it's calculated so that within 25 milliseconds, less than the blink of an eye, that the suit's going to be able to deploy the airbag and protect the rider. And I remember the first time I saw one of these suits and the first time that you know, you'd see a demonstration of the airbag being deployed. And you don't think it's going to be as violent as it is, but it's a very violent force whenever that airbag's deployed. You've had a crash recently, ASCO, and unfortunately you're going through your rehab. But what does it actually feel like when that deploys during a crash?
1: Yeah, in my short career, which is three years longer, I already blew 10 airbags. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I'm cussing a little bit. And the first time that I blew an airbag... I remember the crash, Um, it was a very violent crash on the ground, okay, so yeah, one important thing is that the ECU determines whether to deploy or not the airbag, so if you do a low side where you just lose the front and slide on the ground, it will not deploy the airbag, and that's important because it doesn't make sense to deploy the airbag in that situation, but if you have a high side or you just hit very hard the ground, it deploys, and it's complicated for the engineers to make the airbag in a such a way that it doesn't deploy accidentally. For example, if you go uphill and, in Mugello and the airbag determines wrongly that it needs to be deployed, you're going to lose the race. Okay, so that's very important. And yeah, I remember that when I crashed, there was the, the moment where I saw all the world upside down. Okay, and that's the moment where you start to think about, okay, I'm going to crash. <laughs> and at the time, At that precise moment, I felt, boom, the airbag deployed and it was super hard. Really, the the feeling was hard. It's like I already hit the ground, but I actually didn't hit the ground. It was just the airbag that blew. And then I hit the ground. And magically, when I hit the ground, nothing happened on me. It was one of my last year crashes. Nothing happened. I really hit the ground badly, but I didn't break anything. And at that point, I realized how important the airbag was especially from my collarbones, ribs and the neck.
0: Yeah, and it's one of those areas where we see constant evolution as well because some riders have more protection than others. Some riders want to have it all the way down to their hips, whereas other riders just want to have it a little bit more in the upper body so that they're able to still feel a little bit more comfortable as they move around on the bike. So size and the shape of a rider really determines how they feel about it. But these airbags, they have to be able to be deployed twice during a session in case a rider gets back onto the bike and goes back during the course of a race. So there is an awful lot of different technology that goes into them. But actually for for the airbag to deflate is important as well because it has to deflate within 30 seconds that if the rider's back on the bike, that they're able to be comfortable and move around naturally as well. So there's an awful lot that goes into it.
1: Yeah, because sometimes happens, for example, it happened to me that the airbag deploys, but you don't crash. And it's not a mistake. For example, once I had an, a high side where I fell back on the bike and I didn't crash. But the airbag, of course, deployed because I was upside down for for a second. And at that point, yeah, you, you're just trying to move your arms like if you have wings just to, to, the, to deflate and then you can start to ride again. And uh, yeah, the airbag probably is the most important evolution that we've seen in MotoGP racing. But I think that the most important safety equipment part is the helmet. Because, you know, you can break a bone and recover from that. But if you hit your head pretty hard, uh, it's going to be really dangerous. So we have seen an incredible evolution in the helmets. And today we see helmets that are not just protective but are also aerodynamics. You can see some helmets with some specific shapes, some just some small spoilers that keep the head balanced of the rider. And that's something that really amazed me. Some of the newest helmets seems like superhero helmets. And if you look inside a helmet, the outside part, which is the hardest one, it's either made of fiberglass or carbon, also sometimes mixed with Kevlar. And then inside you have the straw foam, which is some kind of of foam, which has the goal to to absorb the impacts, and the test, the the, the really the test that this helmet goes through, are really really stressing.
0: Yeah, you've now got where there's a standardized form for helmets as well and you've got the same homologation from all FIM championships and that's been really important because it's been able to say that regardless of the brand you're using it's going to be a safe helmet so the impact testing for these is they're dropped from from a standard height at a speed of roughly about 20 metres per second and the impact on that they need to be able to absorb that a number of times to be able to pass the homologation so it really has been an area where we've seen big steps being made forward because this is something that especially with every sport now head injuries are becoming much more analysed they're being talked about an awful lot more so for motorcycle racers it becomes even more important to make sure that you've got safe equipment on your head and having a standardised homologation definitely makes the biggest impact for that.
1: Yeah, exactly. And if we, if we talk about safety, one of the hardest thing to, to, to predict is how the rider is going to crash. And this is why it's so important to, to make a proper track design. Because sometimes crashes are unpredictable because they can come from a rider contact to another rider or they can come from a failure that you have on the bike. So you have to predict how Possibly the rider can crash. And that's why the design and the safety of the tracks nowadays are so important. And another thing that you need to consider is that cars and motorbikes are totally different. For example, cars prefer asphalt runways because when they go off track, if they have asphalt, they can recover the track and you know get back on track. while if the car goes on gravel, You probably need to stop the session or to put out the safety car in order to rescue the car. While the motorbikes are quite different because if you crash, if you do a low side, if you have the asphalt, you're never going to stop. You need the gravel in order to stop the rider. So the track design for those tracks that I use from both cars and motorbikes are really a tricky thing for designers.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting when you talk to track designers about it because I talked to Jarno Zafali from Dromo who does a lot of work with the FIA and the FIM. He's involved with tracks in Formula One and MotoGP. And I was asking him about Where the similarities are and where the differences are. And what he said was, look, all tracks need to be able to host both championships. So you've got to make sure you're safe for cars and you're safe for bikes. And you've got to make sure that the FIA and the FIM work together to try and homologate things like curbs and runoffs and different things to be able to make sure that everything's as safe as possible. But he also talked about how circuit design has changed over the last 15 years. And Uh, he wants to make it much more data-driven so that you are able to actually simulate what's going to happen if there's a crash as opposed to what we had in the past where you were very reactive. If there was a bad crash, suddenly there'd be tyre barriers that were put up to make sure that a rider couldn't reach them and have an impact with a wall whereas he wants to make sure that those kind of things happen long before that as well so you want to try and make sure that you're able to model everything really accurately to try and simulate these accidents and that's where we've seen one of the biggest steps forward and one of the biggest areas of innovation in track design is that instead of it being almost like a two-dimensional map you're now into 3D modeling where you're able to use actual data from full sessions in MotoGP because he'll be able to talk to teams and they give him access to the telemetry to be able to say things like, well, this is the speed, this is the force, this is the the G-force, the acceleration that you have at this time. And he's then able to put that into his modeling tools to be able to generate a full 3D model of the circuit and simulate what's going to happen with an accident. And if you're able to do that, you're then able to make data-driven decisions to make circuits as safe as possible, as opposed to being very reactive to it and just trying to understand in your own head what's going to happen and then make the changes. And that's probably been the biggest area of improvement and innovation that we've seen for circuit design.
1: Yeah, exactly. So a proper design track not only improves safety, but it also improves the the economy of the track. For example, making safer tracks allow... The organization to use less marshals, because if you design the track properly, you can use less marshals on track. And it allows sometimes the circuits to save over 10,000 euros per event and also risk less people. Because you know, for a, marshal, for a marshal, it's still a risky job to do because staying to the track side where the riders are going at 350 kilometers an hour, uh, it's always uh, quite a risk for them. So using less people also reduces the risks. And so it's what's important to do is to design the proper runways, but also design the proper ground. So for example, one thing that got removed recently in the last years was the AstroTurf, which is those kind of synthetic grass that probably was the same synthetic grass, synthetic ground that they use on the football field. I mean, the small field where you play five versus five and it got removed because when they used it, in the in the green parts that we see now, okay, the forbidden parts to go, which is painted now. Many years ago, they were made of astroturf, and that meant that the riders were losing grip on them, and some bad crash happened because of that, so that's, that's one thing that got removed, and that's one big step forward in safety, and another big step forward in safety is that have you ever tried to, to brake with your scooter or with your bicycle on the white lines on the road when it's raining? It's like going on oil, because the paint that they use on the roads is super slippery. So on tracks, they use a totally different paint, which has sometimes more grip than the asphalt. I remember one time in Mugello, I was riding with my bike and I see the outer part, the, 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 the pit exit, the outside of the box of the garage, which was painted black and it was full of water because it just rained and I said, oh my God, I'm going to crash just outside the box. And then when I was walking on that, I realized that it had more grip than the asphalt. So that was because they were using a super grippy paint, which is the paint that they use on all the track. And that's very important, especially in wet conditions.
0: Yeah, and I think it's just the thought that goes into all these innovations that makes a big difference. And it's where we actually saw at one of your home tracks, NASCAR, where you do, you do a lot of riding in Mizano, when they resurfaced the track a few years ago, they actually used a specific type of asphalt that was going to be able to generate good grip in salty air because it's quite close to the beach, quite close to the sea. So they really do think uh, think their way through all these developments. They really do try and put as much innovation as possible into it to try and uh, make the track as safe as possible and to give the best, best impact for everyone involved, whether it's the circuit, whether it's the riders or for the track workers as well. And that's where all this innovation for the track design really does come in. And that's where, if you're able to use it from a data perspective, you're able to look at it and say, these are the changes that we have to make to make a track as safe as possible. And like you said, that could be something as simple as having a high friction paint to make sure that it's actually going to generate grip rather than the slick paint that we saw before.
1: Yeah, exactly. So a safer track also means we can develop faster tracks. We can increase the show, and uh, you know show is something that we're going to talk about in the next episode
0: yeah we're going to look at what goes into creating a tv broadcast in moto gp as well so another area where constant evolution takes place constant innovation and that's what this podcast is all about it's about looking at the innovation behind the racing in MotoGP gp and NASCAR. this has been a really good look at what we see on the safety side of racing whether it's from the leathers the helmets or indeed, just how they design and develop a racetrack. So, thanks for joining us on the show.
1: Thank you, Steve, for joining me in this wonderful podcast. Thank you, MotoGP, for hosting this wonderful show about innovation. Because looking inside the MotoGP racing, looking inside the innovation really, truly amazes me every time I see a MotoGP race.